Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Oh, man. Oh, good morning, Takeover Church. How are we doing? Oh, thanks, Zach. Oh. Make sure that's safe. There we go. Right on the edge. Perfect. That's, that's where I want it. No, that's where I want it. You know where I live? On the edge. Oh, man. Well, good morning. I feel like this morning has been on another level. Oh, my gosh. We come off Sabbath Sunday and people are just like missing being in the room where two or more gather, where anything is possible because the presence of God is here. Are you stoked to be in church this morning? I am. I am rip roaring and ready to go but it would be remiss of me before we go any further um as the as the spiritual leader of this house as the father of this house as someone who god's called to reach the city of grand rapids and michigan and ultimately the united states of america i just want to take a moment i obviously i know yesterday was 9 11. it was a massive day not just for our country but for the world there was crazy ramifications that have proceeded for 20 plus years now and I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that we are grateful for the men and women of the armed services. We are grateful for the police, for the firefighters, for all the people who put their lives on the line, give their lives over daily so that you and I can enjoy the freedoms we have in this country. Can you make some noise for the men and women of our services? Absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously we are praying over all of those who were affected on that day. Uh, who lost loved ones, whose lives were ripped upside down. God be with you. Well, this morning, we are kicking off a new series, like somebody said. It's called Game Changer. How about you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, this is a game changer. All right, turn to your second choice neighbor, the second string quarterback, the person on the bench, and tell them the game just changed. Yeah, how do you, how do you like being the second choice? Uh, it's good. Don't worry. A lot of good things come from being second. But we did something uh, in the beginning of the year called Breaker, uh, and it was an incredible uh, series and season in church that really, I believe, led to us getting this building and led to us moving out of a basement that we were in and all of the things that God did. And we had something called the Breaker Creed. Well, I kind of wanted to bring that back going into fall. Who is ready for harvest season? Yeah. Who's had some seeds that you have planted that you've been watering with prayer and you are just looking for God to say the harvest is ripe for the picking? Who is ready? That's what we believe in for here at Takeover Church and in the city of Grand Rapids. And so instead of a creed, I didn't want to make a declaration. We wanted to make a proclamation. We didn't want to just write it down and declare it. We wanted to proclaim it. Amen. So we're going to proclaim this over our lives throughout the rest of the season in the series would you repeat these words after me? He is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. He has what he says he has. He has what he says he has. I have what he says I have. I have what he says I have. He can do what he says he can do. And I can do what he says I can do. And with that five second praise break, go. Fantastic. Well, if you're taking notes, the title of my message for week one of Game Changer is this. 
Come up here. Come up here. Come up here. Three words, I hope. Come up here. Who is ready for the shortest scripture reading of your life? This morning, for the first week of... (laughs) For the first week of Game Changers, the first week of Harvest, the first week of this new season for church that we are going into, we're coming out of Revelation 4.1. One guy, stoked. Revelation 4.1 is on, it's going to be on the Sky Bible. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's pretty easy to find. It is the last book in the Bible. (laughs) Revelation 4.1. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. We're going to pray, and we're going to see what God will do with that. Father, Father, we ask today that you would just rid us of ourselves. Father, today, I can't think of a, of a selfish reason to come to church, Father. Today, I just come. I come as the lead pastor of this church, and I hope our, my body, this body follows suit, God. We just come with an open hand today, God. We come before you in the presence of your Holy Spirit by the blood of your son Jesus. We come before you and we have our hand open, God, and we offer you, take what you want to take and we'll give it. And by the same breath, God, we declare, give what you want to give and we'll receive it. So right now, all fear, we command you to go. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. And we will give you all the glory by the mighty name of Jesus. Church said, amen. Come up here. Come up here. I'm really nervous to preach this message, not going to lie. Not just because it's the book of Revelation. Not just because there's so much history here. Not because of all that, but because honestly, I believe God gave me a message this morning. I don't know why he chooses me to say the wildest things. But I feel like it's another one of those wild messages. And I'm just asking you this morning that you would give God his due diligence in your heart and in your spirit. That you would open your minds and your heart to understanding what his goal in this hour at this time is. Because I believe right now I have such a conviction. I am not some end times preacher. But I do believe that we are not only in the last days, but we are in the last hours. And there are a lot of things going on. And I think if you took any amount of time, and you looked, and you read, and you got with the Holy Spirit, you would see that Revelation is playing out right before our very eyes and friends why that is good news for you and me is because God could have and often I feel like he should have but I'm not in the business of telling him what he's doing wrong and what he's doing right because that's just not my place he is just and I am not 
But if he wanted Tolkien, he would have had Tolkien. If he wanted Lewis, he would have had Lewis. If he wanted Wigglesworth, he would have had Wigglesworth. If he wanted Bonhoeffer, he could have had Bonhoeffer. If he wanted Jack Coe alive right now, Jack Coe would be alive right now. If he wanted anybody else in this time to be on the earth leading his church, they would be here. But he didn't. He wants you. So who's ready to come up here? I love this because if you don't know, the book of Revelation is written by an amazing man named John. John is a legend. I love John so much. Now, John, before he was given this book of Revelation, before he was given this vision for what must happen, before God laid this on the inside of him and told him to write it down, you see, John, John's the man. You would have read about John. I want to spend a moment talking about John. You would have read about John because he was Jesus' cousin. He was, him and his brother James, they were known as the Sons of Thunder, which is the greatest nickname of all time, is it not? Like, who, would, who does not want to be known as a person of thunder? That is amazing. He is also often referred to in the Gospels by Jesus himself as the one whom Jesus loves, the disciples he loves. You see, John was a rebel rouser. John had an axe to grind. John did not give a rip because he knew he knew whom he belonged to, who his Lord was. He knew what the mission was. So much so that you see John, John at this time, before the book of Revelation was given to him. See, John was in Rome. John was out in Rome, and Rome is a buck-wild place, is it not? Especially in biblical times. I'm sure it's pretty buck-wild still, but especially in biblical times. You see, John, he was in Rome, and unlike the popular phrase, when in Rome, do what Romans do, John said, miss me with it. When in Rome, I'm going to do what Jesus does. And I kind of feel like that's a conviction that the church, and I don't mean as an institution or an organization, I mean as an organism, I believe that is a call and that is a mantle that every single one of us, I don't care if you're a hand or a foot, you're an ear, you're an eyebrow, however you fit into the body of God, into the body of Christ, into the bride of Christ, you and I, we're not here to do as the Romans do, we're here to do as Jesus did. And so John... John's the man, he's in Rome, and he is preaching the gospel with, with fever. He is, he is burning with passion. He is burning with zeal. John, in this moment, he does not care about Roman culture at all. He understands the mission. And you see, John, he's in Rome, and how many of you know from any sort of Bible reading in the New Testament, Rome, Rome ain't really here for Jesus, okay? Rome isn't really interested in our Christ. What Rome is interested in is in their Caesar. You see, at this time, at this time, there was a Caesar, because it is Rome, and his name is Domitian. His name is Domitian. This is 86 AD when we first find John in 1 uh, yeah, John through 3 John. It's 86 AD when we find him, when he's preaching in Rome. And history records, not just the Bible, understand this. 
I think so often we get it, we get it misconstrued because there's, we live in a time where we feel like we're so much more developed. Such a primitive time. Sorry, the Egyptians built pyramids that are way cooler and take more effort and in, in, in ingenuity than the Apple Watch you have on your wrist, okay? Like, we are not this evolved, enlightened species all of a sudden, okay? No, we are still firmly the, needing desperately to be molded by our creator just as they were. We are still clay, fam. That's a word for somebody. You're still clay. Let that wreck your pride this morning. Matt McClure, you think you hot? Bro, you are clay. And if you think you're hot, God's going to put you in the kiln and teach you a lesson. Gets you straightened out real quick. But you see, Domitian, as the Caesar, like other men of his time, like other Caesars of Rome, Domitian wasn't interested in Christianity. Domitian wasn't interested in gods at all, which actually made him different than other Caesars at the time. You see, Domitian, his goal wasn't to have prophets and priests of all different religions or, or faith beliefs at the time come and tell them their dreams. He wasn't interested like Pharaoh. He wasn't interested in, in Zeus or Thor or any other Nordic or Greek gods that have come about of, of being idols to be worshipped. He wasn't interested in Baal. No, you see, Domitian didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be worshipped as a god. Domitian's actual goal and the reason he picked a fight with John and Jesus and Christianity uh, completely was because this Caesar, he didn't want to have allegiance to anybody else. You see, Christians in the land, they were preaching that there was one God, one Lord, and one King, and that did not sit well with Domitian. You see... Domitian was not interested in your freedom and in your liberty to pursue a God of your choosing or the one true God named Jesus. He wasn't interested in that. He wasn't interested in the healings. He wasn't interested in the provision being made to the poor and the widows. He was not interested in what the church actually had to offer his great city, his great empire. No, what he was interested in is what every man of pride and hubris is interested in, and that is being number one. So John's in a bit of a pickle, isn't he? John's in a bit of a pickle. You see, what ends up happening is, is John is actually, this is all history. Understand this. You can look this up in history books. The Bible is the greatest living historical book of all time. But outside of the Bible, there's actually something called extra biblical writings that you can look, historical documents that have shaped our world today, actual factual events that took place. And this is one of them. You see, John... John understood what I wish the Christian church would get today and what takeover church is built upon. You see, we exist to see Jesus take over people's lives. Amen. That's our whole point. We exist not to see Matt take over people's lives and not to see Caesar take over people's lives. We exist to see Jesus take over people's lives. And I hope that we get an attitude and a posture and a spirit of John this morning that we will say, that we will refuse to bow a knee, that we will keep one name and one tongue and one promise 
coming from our lips, and that is Jesus is Lord. Because one of the things that John understood, and what our Afghan brothers and sisters in the Afghanistan church understand, and what our brothers and sisters in the Asia church understand, in the China church understand, in the underground church understands in this hour that you and I so often fail to understand is that Caesar is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Caesar is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. There is one husband of this bride, and it doesn't start with a B, it doesn't start with a T, and it doesn't start with Caesar. It is Christ and Christ alone. It's not fear. Fear is not the head of the church. COVID is not the head of the church. Joe Biden isn't the head of the church. Donald Trump isn't the head of the church. Politics isn't the head of the church. Any government ordinance is not the head of the church. Crap! Take over church. Matt McClure isn't the head of the church. Caesar is not the head of the church. Christ and Christ alone is the head of the church. Praise him like you know it. And I wish we would get this conviction because if we did, friends, I am here to tell you today. If everybody leaves here and just bails based off what I just said, I will know that I just fulfilled the assignment of God in my life. If this is the end of takeover right now, and the last thing I say is that Christ is the head of his body, fine by me. Fine by me. That is a hill I'm willing to die on. Not Capitol Hill. I will die on Christ alone, the cornerstone. Amen. That's what this is all built on. The second we start building on anything else. That is where pride seeks in. That's where lust seeks in. That's where self-serving starts seeking in. Friends, we have one shepherd, and he has never failed us, and he has never left anyone behind. He doesn't leave the 99, and he's not going to start with the one being you. This is the one true God, and his name is Say It. And John understood that, not just because John was cousins with Jesus. He's actually quite younger than Jesus. Like, John was quite a bit younger than Jesus. Like, he is probably the youngest disciple of, like, the quote-unquote 12, okay? And this moment takes place in 86 A.D. That is 86 years after death. Do you know how old that probably pit John at in this moment? That dude's old. He is in his 90s. But John knew what Jesus' plan for the church was. And that was not that we would be a people given over to fear, 
that we wouldn't be a people given over to temptation, that we would not be a people who are found scouring the internet. This message this morning, friends, it is not about conspiracy theories. It's not about the left. It's not about the right. This is about the church. This is about Christians. This is about you and me and deciding what we are going to do from this moment forward because John understood what you and I have to get on the inside of us today, that no matter how dark it gets, how gruesome it may be, how crazy out it may become, or how difficult it might end up being for us to be Christians, Revelation later tells us people won't even be willing to trade with us, and we're already seeing that now, aren't we? It's called cancel culture. We have to understand what John understood. There is power when Christ is the head of the church and not Caesar. There is more power available to the Christian than the Roman. There is more power available to the Christian than the American. There is more power available to the Christian than to white, than to black, than to brown, than to Asian, than to etc. There is more power available to the Christian than to the man and to the woman. There is more power available to the Christian. You see, Christ has got to be preeminent in our identity. Christ has to be preeminent in our Christian identity. Otherwise, we will be impotent in our Christian identity. Do I need to rewind the tape? Did you catch that? Christ has to be preeminent in our identity or else we will be impotent in our identity. Friends, revival is on the backside of when the church decides to quit glorifying man and glorify the son of man. Revival is on the other side of when the church goes, Caesar, you've been on the head far too long and we've paid for it in blood. Christ must be the head of his church. You see, John... Before this moment that we find him in, John is actually imprisoned. You see, Domitian hears so much about John this and John that, and John is raising a ruckus, and we've already taken care of Paul, and we've already taken care of Saul, and we've done all these things. we got Silas in prison right now. Everybody's locked up. Everybody else ran out of Rome. They're missioning in, in Asia Minor and all these other places, but John just won't give up. What are we going to do about John? Well, Domitian has this brilliant idea again, 86 AD. This is history, fam, history class today, okay? You and I, we are sewn into a beautiful bride that is, she is older and she is wiser and she is greater than whatever country, place, creed, tongue, or background you come from. This church is lit. The church has lasted longer than any of it. It's been around from the jump. This was God's plan. It is God's plan. And he's going to fulfill his plan. And so John, again, historical moment, Domitian arrests him. 
But Domitian isn't interested in simply keeping him in prison. No, no, no. John is raising such a ruckus and uproar in Rome that Domitian is like, you know what? Prison won't do for John. We're going to kill him. And Rome is like, let's go. Let's go. We are sick of these Christians. We're sick of walking out of the Colosseum having people pray over us. We're sick of walking down, you know, strutting. All of a sudden, the shadows cast over me and my leg starts working again. We are sick and tired of all this magic and wizardry and all this other stuff that's going on. We got to kill the Christians like we killed their Christ, right? Like that is what is going on. We got Jesus out of here. We got the rest of these guys out of here. We got to do it. And so John, funnily enough, what ends up happening to him is Domitian arrests him, and he actually puts out word. Domitian puts out word, and he goes, yo, this date, this time, be at the Roman Colosseum. We are going to kill John on sight. We're going to kill John on sight. But Matt, I thought he wrote more of the Bible. He did. Check this out. What ends up happening is, is instead of gladiators taking swings at him, Instead of chaining him up or letting him run loose against lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Instead of doing what is typical and generic and normal in a Roman Colosseum, Domitian says, none of this is good enough for John. We're going to make an example of him. 80,000 people showed up that day. History, fam, you can look this up. 80,000 people showed up that day to watch John die. But John, he wasn't just going to die. Domitian literally prepares a fire and a cauldron, and they proceed in front of 80,000 people to boil John alive in oil. Matt, I thought he wrote more of the Bible. He did. You see, in this moment, once again, history. You need to get this twisted. This isn't some magical book, okay? This is our God who is more real than all of the things you've ever learned in school because he created everything you learned in school, okay? This has got to be the realest thing to the church or it will be the lethalest thing towards the church. Again, if Christ isn't preeminent, we will be impotent. And so John, John is being boiled in oil. Again, look it up. Boiled in oil in front of 80,001 people at the Roman Colosseum. 80,001 people at the Roman Colosseum. And it says, John refused to die. Hold up, fam. John is being boiled in oil. Yo, we all got deep fryers, okay? We know how good that is, and we know how hot it is, and we have burned ourselves, okay? If you're like me, you like to cook on the hot stove with your shirt off. Like, we've burned ourselves with some hot oil, okay? We out here burning ourselves with oil, dropping, you know, JC's name like a curse word. And here's John physically being boiled in water before 80,000 spectators, mockers, scoffers, and people who wish nothing but death on him. And the word records, and history records, you can find it anywhere. John refused to die. You see, friends, 
I am believing for a generation. And maybe it starts here in Grand Rapids. Maybe it starts with a Let Us Worship event last night in D.C. Maybe it starts uh, at Bethel or at Upper Room or some other great church that's hosting and living to do the presence of God. Maybe it starts, but it's going to start with Christians. And it's going to start when we as Jesus followers, we as Takeover Church, we decide we refuse to die. We refuse to die. I'm going to work and it's hard. I'm going to work and it's this. And there's all these mandates and there's all these lockdowns and there's all these shutdowns and there's these vaccine things and mask mandates and all of this stuff. And I'm believing revival will be on the backside when Christians refuse to die. When we refuse to give up, when we refuse to deconstruct, when we refuse to join in the chorus of the fallen. Revival will break out in our land. Revival can actually heal our land. Friends, when Christians decide, we are refusing to give up. You see, what I am not is, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not an anti-masker. I'm not an anti-this, that, or the other thing. What I am anti is that we live in a time right now where governmental overreach is impeding upon what we believe, not only as a nation, but as the church. It's in our constitution. It's clearly in the Bible. That you are endowed by certain unalien rights that are, what does the word say? What does the, what does the constitution say? Inalienable rights. Friends, the freedom the freedom that you have is not because Caesar allows, but because Christ endows. The freedom we have isn't because Caesar allows. It's because Christ endows. We hold these truths to be self-evident. It is evident that you were made by a creator, and because of that, you have rights. And this isn't even political, because this goes beyond all of this friends you want to know why it's not political it's not political because guess what the church is thriving in every other country except america we have afghan brothers and sisters who are dying right now to have church service that's a thriving church people are risking life and limb to get in it and they might die while they're there that's a thriving church not a church that could be, you know, uh, swayed away from attending because they had a late Saturday night or because they had a busy week and they just needed to rest. They needed some me time. Church doesn't exist for me time. A church exists for Christ's time. And I'm not coming at anybody with that. If you feel convicted, talk to the Holy Spirit about that. What I am saying is that the church will survive without America. But I am afraid, friends, that America won't survive without the church. You see, as a young man, I was told, Matt, you are too heavily minded to be any earthly good. And I let that affect me deeply. And I started preaching super practical messages. Five steps to this. Three steps to that. 
And then as I began to push in and lean into whom Jesus actually is, who the Holy Spirit actually is, everything the Word of God says. Jesus had one step, and the step was, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and carry me, bro. One step. One. Friends, you can never be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. That is poor, bad, and heretical theology. The more consumed, the more persuaded, the more convicted, the more in love with and zealous for heaven you are, the more earthly impact you should be having. You want to know why that is? Because if you were more consumed by heaven than by earth, there might just be a day when we arrive in that heaven and it's fuller because you were consumed by heaven and not by earth. What are you contending for? Because everything is contending for you. Everything is vying for your attention and your time and your politics and your vote and all of these things. What are you vying for? Are you vying for the affairs of the fallen man or are you vying for the power of the risen man? John refused to die. And history records that if 80,001 people were there, 80,000, I kid you not, history, 80,000 bent their knee. 80,000 Romans bent their knee. They didn't do what Romans did. They did what John did. And 80,000 Romans in the Roman Colosseum came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior of their lives. This literally, factually happened. 80,000 people came to know the Lord because one man was so convinced and so persuaded that God was who he said he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, that the Holy Spirit is who he says he is, and that he was whom they said he was. Revival is on the other side, friends, of Caesar being removed as the head of the church and Christ remaining as the head of the church. He's the anchor. He's the head. He's the spirit. He's the heart. He's the posture. He is the reason. Friends, what ends up happening is 80,000 people give their lives to the Lord. And what does Domitian do? Well, he wanted dominion. Domitian wanted dominion. Domitian wanted to herd the cattle back. He wanted to get the group think tank back on track. No, I'm the man. You worship me. And instead of 
killing John on sight by sword or spear or by lion. What he actually does is he decides, you know what? Death isn't good enough for John because if 80,000 people just turned on me and decided they wanted his God, his heaven, his Jesus, his Holy Spirit, then there is one thing I got to do. And I got to make sure he's not around to tell the story. But I'm going to deprive him of being able to go and see his God should he be real instantly. So what does he do? Again, history... Domitian sends him to an island off of Greece called Patmos. He sends him to an island off of Greece called Patmos. And Patmos is where John is then given the vision, given revelation. And friends, can I clarify something real quick? I know in the church we're like, ooh, end times, revelation, it's scary, you know? You know, you know who I'm talking about. You know, you've heard it. You've heard it. End time preachers trying to do fire and brimstone. Jesus coming back is a rejoicing moment, okay? Mature Christians understand that. Revelation isn't to scare you or to instill fear in you. There is no fear in perfect love, and Jesus is perfect love, amen? Instead, what revelation actually means, and nobody ever tells you this, the word revelation means divine insight, divine knowledge, divine knowledge, divine insight of whom? It's actually called the revelation of Jesus Christ. The divine knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, in this moment, when John receives this word, when he receives the visions from on high, when God says, this is what must happen. Friends, you've got to understand this. You've got to understand this. This, this verse, this word, revelation, it's not to instill fear in you because it's the exact opposite. Jesus says, I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. This all must come to pass. But guess what, Jack? I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. And this is the truth that was such, at such work in John that he was not only willing to face Caesar, he was willing to face the fire, he was willing to face the oil, he was willing to face banishment and alone and insecurities and shame and to be mocked and his reputation torn apart and then left to die on an island called Patmos. And one of the first things God says to him on that island is what I believe God is saying to this generation right now, this church right now. One of the first things he says, it is an invitation. It is an opportunity. It is a calling on your life. I don't care if you're a doctor today. I don't care if you're a social worker today. I don't care if you sell insurance. I don't care what your day-to-day occupation is. Sometimes your calling and occupation don't line up. Paul led the entire church in the New Testament. was also a tent maker sometimes. Like, your occupation does not determine your faithfulness. Amen. In this moment, he was on an island. He didn't even have an occupation. He's by himself. And do you know what that invitation was? Come up here. Come up here, John. Oh, there's a generation that God is welcoming up here. Come up here. 
Come up here. Fear has consumed you. Don't stay down there where fear rules and reigns, where fear flows freely. Come up here. Oh, God, you just don't understand. It's 2021, and it's never been this hard. And God, we're just, we're just seeing a generation ripped away right now, and, and there are just things going on, and I am so riddled by fear of COVID and by political landmines and by the celebrity culture and all of these things, by Instagram and TikTok and all of it, and I am just in fear. I'm in shame. I'm in guilt. I'm in worry. I'm in anxiety, and Jesus is welcoming a generation, the same thing that he gave to John. Come up here. Come up here, and I'll show you what must be done. God, my marriage is just really on the rocks. I understand. I see it. Come up here. Come up here. Up here. Up here is divine revelation. You don't have to live down there in fear. You can live up here in divine revelation. Friends, there is an elevation with God that will bring revelation to your situation. There is an elevation with God that will bring divine revelation, knowledge of your situation. Friends, there are things that you can see up here for what they really are that you cannot see when you were either under it or next to it. There are things up here that you will see the truth of that you have been overtaken by when you were next to it, when you were breathing the same air of it. Come up here. Come up here. That thing, big bad COVID, kept you locked in your house for 18 months. Come up here. Christ is still a bigger C word than COVID. Christ is still a bigger C word than cancer. Christ still has five letters in it that are more powerful than B-I-D-E-N or T-R-U-M-P. Come up here. Matt, this sounds radical. Matt, I'm uncomfortable. Friends, I'm going to get more radical because I am watching a generation of people, of men and women, be radically sent to hell by their decisions, by lies, by the enemy, by principalities of the unseen world, by spirits that you and I should be fighting in the spirit, a.k.a. getting close to God. I'm seeing a generation radically live lives that will send them to hell. I'm going to get radical with it. The game changed out there. Is the game going to change in here? The game changed out there. Is it going to get changed in here? Are we going to quit playing church or are we going to start living church? Are we going to stay down there where moth and rust can take and destroy? Or are we going to come up here because we understand that we're not a citizen of Grand Rapids first. We're a citizen of heaven eternally. Are we going to live down there where moth and rust destroy? Or are we going to come up here and live from a higher elevation so we can understand fear doesn't get to rule our lives? Government doesn't get to rule our lives. COVID, lockdowns, it's all fear. I'm not saying there's not wisdom in certain things. The Bible tells us to be cunning as a snake and wise as a dove. 
Wisdom plays a role, but the wisest thing you can do is when fear comes knocking, you close the door and return to Christ. Come up here. You see, friends, what happened over the last 18 months is we didn't live at this elevation. We allowed ourselves to be locked in, shut up, and shut in. And at that moment, fear came in and was allowed to chain us up and bog us down. You know what fear does? Fear is when you take your faith and you place it in something, some person, or some outcome that isn't Jesus. That's what fear is. You want to know why? Because fear is this. This is where I start. I came to know Jesus. I am up here. And then when we decide to take our eyes off Jesus and our faith off Jesus, suddenly we begin to create distance because our faith is drawing us over here into this person, this political position, this policy, this issue, whatever. And suddenly fear begins to create distance. And what that distance does is it distorts. Distance always distorts. I can't see you as clearly, Jesus. I can't hear you as clearly, Jesus. I can't feel you as clearly, Jesus, because I have taken my gaze and my faith and my time and my patience and my hope. I've taken it from the anchor of my soul that is sure and trustworthy. And I've put it on a man and a woman that is just as much flesh and blood and faulty and broken as I am. And distance creates distortion. But the good news is, the good news of the gospel is that every situation Every circumstance, every moment of backsliding, every moment of doubt, every moment of deconstruction, every time you dip into is Jesus who he says he is bag, every time you begin to allow doubt and fear to slip in, you still have the invitation, come up here available to you. Because proximity breeds clarity. If distance distorts, proximity brings clarity. That means I can get closer to Jesus. Come up here. My marriage is falling apart. I know. Come up here and see what I'm doing. The world is falling apart. I know. Come up here and hear what I'm doing. My addiction is running my life. I understand. Come up here and you can see what I'm doing. You see, Christ, God, he may have not have ordered what is happening in your life. He not, may not have brought on the circumstances and the situation. Lord knows he does not bring you into adultery. He does not lead you into fear. He does not lead you into those places, okay? No, no temptation has overtaken you that our Bible tells us God has prepared a path for victory out of, okay? He has never led you astray. He has never brought you or made that circumstance take place, but what he has done is invited you to see that he is at work in it. We got a lot of first-year students in college over here. If you're a young person, you're in college, you're in university today. He's with you in it. You don't have to get bogged down by the, the, 
deconstruction that everybody else is saying, what your professors are teaching. You don't have to go with the flow and be a part of the culture on campus. You can come up here. You don't have to be changed and flipped and flopped around by the winds of doctrine. There is one and his name is Jesus. You can come up here. Your marriage is on the rocks. It's only on the rocks because you're living below. Come up here. Fear is only living and ruining and running your life because you're living below. Come up here. I know you're over the flames. I know you're in the oil. I know you're being mocked. I know you're being scoffed. I know judgment has been placed on you. I know lies have been spread on your name. I know. I know you're lonely because you're single. I know it's hard for you because you haven't had a baby yet. I know that you are in the darkest season of your life. And while that is happening, the world is going to hell in a handbasket around you. Come up here. John, I know you're alone on an island in Patmos. But come up here. And I'll show you. I'll show you what must be done. I know those chains are comfortable. I know you've been living in the same ditch, in the same dead-end job, in the same place. I know. I'm not unfamiliar with your pain or your struggles or the hurt or lies that you feel, the deception that you've bought into. I'm not unaware of what's happening in your country and how that can hurt you and harm you and make you feel uncertain. I'm not unaware. I am ever present and I am telling you there is an elevation with me that will bring so much revelation of me to your situation. Just come up here. Refuse to die and come up here. That's the most hardcore thing I've ever heard. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says our God. This earth is not your beginning, middle, and ending. I am. Come up here. I'm just believing for a generation today that will decide we're not going to live below what Christ paid for on the cross, but he actually welcomed us into the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's at hand. Come up here. You know what that means? That's good news. Why? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means kingdom of heaven is already here. It's already being established. Why is that good news today? It's because whether we get on board with it or we reject it, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. You want to know what that means? That, Matt, that means that Matt can't screw it up. That means that you can't screw it up. That means that the kingdom of heaven will advance. It is here. It is alive. It is active. It is coming around our nation and our Christians and our people right now. And the same invitation is available. Come up here. Can I read to you one more portion of scripture this morning? Who's, is, any, is this helping anybody? Is anyone offended? Friends, we're going to come out of Revelations 21, 1 through 8 in just a moment. 
so many of us have been in our homes, not in our church, not with community night, not a boys and babe crew, and we've been living shut in just like this. It may have opened up outside for a minute. You may have been allowed, quote unquote, to go places for a second. But your soul, your heart, your mindset, it's still here. It's still underneath the ladder. It's still underneath a covering. It's still being kept at arm's distance from relationships, from people who are here to edify you and build you up. We are sitting here inside our little teepee of self-loathing and fear, and we are just waiting for normal to return. Friends, normal isn't returning, but Jesus is. Normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. And if we are waiting for normal to return, we will remain idle until it never returns. But if we are burning for the King of kings and Lord of lords to return, we will remain on fire. Even in the fire, even in the oil. Friends, if we decide that we refuse to die how many of you know you are not for sale? Because you may be in the oil, but your oil is not for sale. Your purpose is not for sale. God's plan for you is not for sale. No matter how difficult it gets outside, you will still have favor. Can I read to you something else that God gives John? Check this out. Two-second praise break. Go. Go. Just wanted to make sure that we were okay, okay? It's heavy, it's big, but uh, I hope it changes your life today because it certainly changed mine all week. Revelations 21, 1 through 8, it'll be up on the Sky Bible too. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Who is grateful for a God that is making all things new? Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from them spring of water and life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So John, in this moment, receives such a vision, such a word. And he is told what will happen. 
what is coming, what will happen in this earth, that the old, this whole skin, this dying, this, this, this thing that you are in, you've got to begin to understand today that you are spirit first, body second. Come on, somebody. This bag will pass away with the earth and the trees and the sand and the waves. It will go, but behold, I am making all things new. Friends, I came to tell a body of believers today that the chief concern, the chief goal, the chief uh, aim of heaven has never been that you get to heaven tomorrow. It's that you would get heaven in you today. It has never been about, how many of you know, when you become a citizen of heaven, when you bend the knee, when you bow your head, when you say, Jesus, have my life, we don't wait for this. This verse, it's not for the Christians of now. This, this verse, God stands outside of time. It has already happened in some form, shape, or another at a later part on his perspective. You and me, when we come home to know Jesus, eternity, heaven, heaven doesn't begin for the believer at a bodily death. Heaven begins for the believer at a spiritual birth. You got to get this today. This will change your life. Behold, I am making all things new. How many of you know he has already started redeeming you? We're not waiting. We're not waiting to be put on mission. We're not waiting to forgive. We're not wasting time with, with offense and being hurt or being upset at the current position or disposition of our world or our government or anything else. We're not waiting. We are living because we have already began to receive this. Friends, if you will understand this today, you are not living for heaven. You are living from heaven. Heaven isn't a later destination right now. Heaven is our current reality, not a prize you will receive later. Heaven is a current reality. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if my body, my bride, my believers would just take me at my word, they would understand that you don't have to live down here because up here you will see I am the alpha and the omega. I love when he says this. Jesus says, my spring of life flows freely without payment. You know what that means? If you're a believer in here today, if you're a Jesus follower in here today, his river of life, his stream of life flows freely without payment. What does that mean? That means no matter what season or circumstances or situations you find yourself in, all you gotta do is come back up here and living water is available to you. Strength you will find, hope you will have. It will spring up on the inside of you, eternal. That fight that you've been looking for to stay in your marriage, that fight that you've been looking for to stay alive, that fight that you've been looking for to beat depression, those things, you will find them up here and without payment. 
Because there's a lamb who's already paid it all. It is freely available to you. Worship team, you can make your way back up here. It's freely available to you. One of my favorite things that I love in this scripture is that he says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's no pain, there's no sickness, there's no sorrow. And for the believer, we don't have to wait for eternity to receive that. We just have to come up here. Close the distance with God. Move from sickness to wellness. From depression to wholeness. There is a wellness that comes along with closeness. There is a wholeness that comes locked, stocked with two smoking barrels with closeness. We don't wait to receive this. It's already been given. And it is a river, it is a spring that remains open without tokens. There is no toll here. There is no please pass go. There is nothing. You didn't earn it. You couldn't deserve it. But man, you've been invited to come up here and live above it. Jesus says one of my absolute favorite things absolute favorite things in this portion of scripture you see where does that scripture just go he says this in verse 7 if you want to throw it up on the screen Nat. the one who conquers will have this heritage and they love the one who conquers this. Oh, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. Revelation 21 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The one who conquers will have this, all of those promises, as his heritage. Friends, that word conquer comes from the Greek word in the original translation. You know what the word is? It's Nike. Just do it. Same word. But it doesn't actually mean conquer. Do you know what it means? It means the one who is victorious. The one who is victorious. Verse 7, again, let's read that with Nike in mind. The one who is victorious will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Friends, why that is important today is because a little word that follows that sentence. The one who is victorious. You see, friends... I'm tripped up by this verse if people think that. 
heaven was the end goal of Christianity. That if power after death was the only reality. Because in this verse, it doesn't say the one who conquers will have this inheritance. It doesn't say that. It says the one who is victorious will have this as a heritage. And why that is important is because there's a lot of people in this room, myself included, and I have a heritage that is alcoholism. I have a heritage that is addiction, that is sex abuse. I have a heritage that comes from all of these places. There is darkness in my heritage. There is abuse in my heritage. There is heart disease in my heritage. There is sickness in my heritage. There are things in my life that are hereditary. But when I become a son or a daughter, not of my heaven, not of my earthly mother and my earthly father, but of my heavenly father. Suddenly, I'm not living for some inheritance that I will receive one day. I am living and walking in a heritage that's already been paid for me. Friends, when you come home to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, victory is your heritage, not your inheritance. go from heart disease being hereditary to victory being hereditary. You go from depression being hereditary and you go to victory being hereditary. Friends, are you picking up what I am laying down this morning? In a moment, the worship team can begin to sing. We're going to sing out, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because slavery isn't our heritage. Victory is our heritage. Fear isn't our heritage. Victory is our heritage. Depression isn't our heritage. You can stand. Victory is our heritage. We don't live for some divine inheritance. We live from a divine inheritance. Would you begin to sing? Because in this moment, you have the chance to sing and come up here. Victory is your heritage. Come on, sing. I will stay.